Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. All right. Today, uh, welcome. We have uh, Maddie Alone. He's coming live from from Kuwait today. Uh, he's the host and founder of the podcast, The Project Kuwait, which we'll put all the links up here so everybody can find it. It's it's awesome. You grew up playing all sports: baseball, gymnastics, uh, swimming, basketball, uh, bodybuilding, which I love, and most recently CrossFit. Um, you're a certified performance specialist uh, in strength and conditioning. That's awesome. You hold a master's in business administration and a minor in psychology. Uh, you own the Dad Project, aiming to make dads better everywhere. Um, you also graduated high school and college in the same year. <laughs> <laughs> I have to hear about that. Uh, could you yeah. uh, welcome? Um, could, could you tell everybody about yourself? Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me, man. It's it's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. And um, to just get right into it, I did graduate college and uh, university in the same year. Um, basically I was a screw up of a high school student. So in Kuwait, I was in the British system. So when you're in the British system, you can graduate at the age of 16 and you have to do your IGCSEs, but they give you a leaving certificate. So it's kind of like graduating from the school. So I failed all my IGs, uh, except for like English and, you know, Arabic for foreigners. Um, but I took the leaving certificate, got accepted into JUCO in the States and that was it. I thought that was all she wrote. You know, like I'm a high school graduate, started college, started my college career, finished two years, moved back to Kuwait, enrolled in the American University of Kuwait. Now, I'm rolling through there. I bring my GPA up from like a 1.5 to a 3.2 at this point. So like I'm kind of on a roll, you know, enjoying the whole student life. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call saying, hey, we need you in the admissions office. I get into the admissions office. This is senior year. So the admissions guy, and he's a buddy of one of my friends, he's a smaller guy. And at the time, I was probably, like, I was a big guy at that point. Um, I was going to the gym, full-blown bodybuilding. Um, you know, I think my bench press was up to, like, 300 at the time. So, like, I was a big dude. I get in there, and he goes, um, I hate to say it, but you're not graduating this year. And um, I look at him. And I'm like, what the F are you talking about? And then I just get right in his face. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? You call me in here the year I'm supposed to graduate? And he goes, look, this is the deal. You didn't graduate high school by Kuwait standards. We can't let you walk. 
So I'm like, okay, all right, what do I got to do? He said, there's two options. You go to the ministry and try and see if they'll grandfather you in, or you redo your IGCSEs. At this point, I'm like, all right, you know what? If I get grandfathered in, I don't want this, this, this might pop up again later in the future, you know? So I said, screw it. Let's do it. Let me pick the easiest IGCSEs that I could do. And again, senior year of college. So at the time I did my six IGs plus Arabic for foreigners, which was seven. I think it was seven or six. I'm not sure. And um, I think I failed two, two of the exams the first time around. But then I redid those two tests. I passed them and I graduated high school and college in the same year, dude. <laughs> I had never heard that before. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not sure a lot of people it's happened to anybody. So I might be one of the only people on earth that that has actually happened to. So it's kind of funny. It's it's a fun story. Like I I love to tell because people are just like, what do you mean? You can't graduate college and high school in the same year. But then they're like, oh, shit, you actually did that. Sorry, excuse my language. Um, Oh, that's all right. No, we keep we'll keep it real here. Um. (laughs) How did you end up in Kuwait? So I, you, you were in the United, the United States. Yeah, my mother's originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Well, Natick, Massachusetts, about 20 minutes outside of Boston. Uh, you know, her and my dad met there. I grew up a quarter of my life over there. And then um, uh, in between my whole childhood, back and forth every summer up until I'd say about my late teens. And then I moved there for college for about six years. Um, and then my brother had passed away, so I moved back to Kuwait in 2005, and that's when I finished up my college degree here in Kuwait. And stayed. Yeah, yes, and, and stayed basically because of, you know, family stuff. They wanted, you know, they want, obviously at that time, I, I became the eldest male in the family, so it's like a big deal over here. Um, so they wanted me to stay and kind of help my mom out. Her husband had just passed away. Uh, my stepfather had passed away a week after my brother. So, you know, my mother was just bringing an absolute mess. Um, and uh, I have a younger brother who has Down syndrome, too. So she was kind of, you know, she was just kind of juggling everything at that point. And I was like, all right, you know what? My uncle's like, dude, you got to move back. Not for anybody, for your mother and your brother. So moved back to Kuwait. And, um, you know, my dad wasn't here at the time. Uh, so all my aunts really kind of put me through college. Um, they all chipped in with my grandmother and the deal was don't don't fuck up again and you know we'll keep paying for your school so i didn't screw up and you know that's what happened um so what what's life like in kuwait like what misconceptions maybe do we have about about it <laughs> well we don't ride around on camels that's for shit shit <laughs> we have some of the best cars in the world um we do completely run on oil. I believe 98% of our total revenue is generated from uh, oil, uh, oil production, um, which is you know obvious here in Kuwait. Um, it's not all sand. We do have buildings, and we have a beautiful skyline that's popped up over the years. And I mean, it's it's your modern country. We have AC. I get that question a lot when I'm back home, or you know, like, do you guys have AC in Kuwait? And I'm like, yes. And it really does get up to 100, 124 degrees in the middle of the summer. Um, like, literally, it's you can't walk outside at noon. It's tough. Wow. <laughs> so um, that women drive, they're not all covered. We have no relation to Pakistan. Uh, people always ask me if I'm from Pakistan. I'm like, no, dude, I'm from Kuwait, Middle East. You know, Pakistan is like over by India and stuff. So 
that's not us completely different cultures too and i'd say those are some of the biggest misconceptions um we don't chop people's hands off here if they steal um that's a misconception you know you don't get stoned to death uh if you do something bad um we still do have the death penalty in kuwait that is still here but you know other than that i mean it's your typical normal country um very international and very globalized um unlike the states like a lot of my buddies in you know boston and stuff when i'm back home it seems like they're they're like in america you're stuck in your you know your state your own little world so to speak whereas here everything that's going in the world everything that's going on in the world you know about because the mm-hmm. news is so focused on everything external quite a small com- uh, country it's the size of uh, rhode island so it's pretty much it really so how how did you get involved in in the health um and fitness and, and bodybuilding industry well, uh, I was a ball player uh, growing up mostly. Uh, I was into gymnastics as a younger kid, loved baseball, um, and then uh, sort of switched at, when I was like 13, found out they had a baseball league here in Kuwait, so obviously I signed up. One of my coaches, Coach Dan, he was, um, he was big on you know calisthenics, push-ups, burpees. You know, he was an ex-football player. So he was like, look, if you want to put some serious muscle on, you need to hit the weight room. And my uncle, Aziz at the time, was just this big, burly power lifter. Um, and he kind of raised me uh, through a period of my life. And, you know, he was just this powerful guy. Like he would bench press. He would bench press 140 kilos like it was nothing. Uh, that was his warm up weight. So he was just insane. So I said, I want to learn how to you know, lift weights. What do I do? Took me to the gym. Um, signed me up. He said, there's a bench. This is what you do. Don't hurt yourself. And it was old school bodybuilding. It was going there. Look at, look at the guys around you and do some of those movements. It, there, there was no freaking muscle mag. There was no internet. There was nothing. It was literally just, literally me just looking at someone and trying to put two and two together at that point. And they're like, okay, that's a bench press. That's what it is. And then, you know, I'd ask them and that's how I kind of built my, program and then i found out there is something called a program and it was the, the bro split at the time you know so it was your typical you know biceps and triceps or chest and by i always did chest and triceps because it made more sense to me and back and by because again that made more sense and abs i pretty much did every day and skipped legs at the time and just did chest kind of like two or three times a week <laughs> but um that's how I got into it. It was mainly for sport. Um, and then I started to enjoy it. Even when I moved back to the States, obviously I couldn't afford a gym. Um, playing college ball, was still doing push-ups. My sister bought me a uh, bench, bench press set from Sears when I was like 18. So you can imagine I had like, I think I had like 200 pounds in weights. So yep. it only got me so far. <laughs> you I, know what I mean? I, I had the same set. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all had that set yes. at one point. And, um, you know, I just started, started doing more with that and picking things up here and there. And, you know, that was pretty much it. And, you know, I, I got into it for baseball and then, you know, I said, wow, you know, my body's kind of taking a cool shape. And then I moved out of my sister's house. I didn't have my bench anymore. So I bought, uh, one of my buddies had two a set of dumbbells, fifties and seventies. I'll never forget it. Cause all I had was 50 pound dumbbells. So I'm sitting here doing bicep curls with 50 pound dumbbells. I'm doing flies with 50. I'm doing everything with 50 and 70 pound dumbbells. And 
I was doing it. I didn't have a bench, so I used the corner of my bed in my room as my bench so I could get my, you know, my bench press in. And I didn't know feet up was a thing. You know, I, I see that now. And I'm like, shit, I was doing that, you know, 15 years ago. So that's pretty much how I got into it. Then I moved over to Kuwait. And Kuwait's huge on bodybuilding. Um, I was going to ask you that. So uh, I know from, from I'm into bodybuilding that, and I don't know if people know, professional bodybuilders, um, for the most part, have to use steroids. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's just it's just part of part of their um, equipment bag. They need to do it. It's that's not really a secret. Uh, and I know a lot of them go to to the Middle East uh, because I think it's a little more, I, I guess, accepted or is it legal? I... It's not legal and it's not accepted. It's not talked about. Like let's just put it that way. It's not really. It's not seen as a problem. I see it as an epidemic here in Kuwait especially in Kuwait, you walk outside of Oxygen Gym or any of the big gyms, Oxygen, Platinum, and these are state-of-the-art gyms. Like, no offense, Equinox doesn't have shit on Oxygen, all right? You go in, this place is four floors. They got a chest floor. They got a bicep. It's just, it's you walk in that you're overwhelmed with the amount of machines that are in there. Then you go into the lower levels and you have the swimming pool, and I think there's one there's one big swimming pool for laps. There's another pool with like these jet things for like massages. Then there's your big jacuzzi. Then you have your sauna and steam room. And then another floor down, you've got an entire CrossFit box with every single piece of equipment that you can imagine. So this is the ultimate gym. When you walk out of your car, it's almost like stepping on glass. That's the amount of needles you step on. And it pisses me off because I'm a father. So there are kids. There's a school about 400, 500 yards away from Oxygen, one of the Oxygens. And it's like, you know, you're shooting up in the car and then you're just dropping your needle on the ground. So, I mean, that's kind of the mentality over here. And, you know, it's a running joke. Oh, if you walk outside of Victory or, you know, Platinum or Oxygen, you're, you know, it's like stepping on glass. You know, it's, it's a joke, but it's really not. In my opinion, I think there's a big issue and no one's doing anything about it. With the pro bodybuilders, I don't believe that we have better steroids. I don't believe that we have more steroids. It is easily attainable here. Um, you can get pretty much any type of steroid, including like freaking horse homo- hormones, apparently. Um, but I think the methodology of what people are doing when they come here is the difference maker for them. It's not the steroids. It's the country itself and the lack of entertainment that there is. I mean, my coach, he's a, you know, he was ranked 18th in CrossFit in the UK. The guy's freaking unbelievable. He's phenomenal. He, you know, he's part of the Invictus team. Like he's awesome. And we were talking, he's like, look, I never want to leave Kuwait. All I have to do is coach people, do my job. I eat, I train, I sleep and repeat. There's no partying. There's no nothing. I save a shit ton of money. And, you know, I get the best supplements in the world. I have the best gyms at my disposal. He was like, that's it. You know, my, my, you know, my, my coach is clean. He says he's clean. I believe him. Um, and, you know, I see the amount of work he puts in. I mean, he trains for six hours. You know, this guy's in the gym at 8 a.m. He's done with his workup by like 2 p.m. So he is that dedicated um, in terms of, you know, the sport of CrossFit. 
and you know he eats right, supplements right, and you know I I hope he's telling the truth about not doing steroids. I think he is, and it makes sense when you really look at it. If all you have to do, if all you're doing is lifting weights all day, just by by sheer volume alone, you know you're gonna you're gonna get bigger. That's why Kai put on like eight or nine or ten pounds of muscle. You know, it's like uh, a plumber. Plumbers have the best goddamn grip you'll ever. You know what I mean? You ever shake a plumber's hand? They'll break your. <laughs> they'll break your fingers. You know what I? It's because of that repetitive motion and that muscle memory where you're building up all that muscle in your hands and in your wrists and your forearms. And it's kind of the same for athletes here in Kuwait. So if you want to really pack on some serious muscle, come to Kuwait for six months. And I think you answered it. So it, here, I'm involved with, um, you know, not so much as I used to be with the bodybuilding industry, but there's a there's a, a mystery around everybody who's going to Oxygen Gym. And they, <laughs> they, they, they go there for, you know, their six months and they come out looking like a different person than went in. So uh, everybody thinks it's, you know, special special drugs or better drugs. But um, if you've ever really worked out, you know that um, nutrition is way more important than than anything else and, and rest and recuperation. And um, so I don't take that away from those guys at all. Uh, and I think you said it. It's you can totally focus on on your goal uh, and you don't have a lot of other things around your head, not a lot of drama. Um, you told me before that the country's dry, so there's no there's no alcohol, which is amazing. Um, there's no partying, I guess. Um, yeah, man. Yep. So that's a good thing. I'm, I mean, look, you can say you can say we have some of the best drugs. I mean, I, I've heard of stories of guys, you know, messing around with their insulin, with insulin and HGH and doing some really crazy shit. I don't know if you've ever heard of Big Rami. Have you ever seen Big oh, Rami? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This guy, I, I saw him once and it's like looking at a wall like this guy's huge. There's no way like it's not humanly possible to get to that size without taking some crazy ass shit, which I believe he probably did. And there was a guy widely known back in the early 2000s here. Uh, his name was Hulti. And he was this big, big black guy, huge guy. His bicep, I swear to you, was the size of my thigh. All right, that's just, and I asked him one day, I said, what do you take? And he looked at me, he goes, it's what do I not take, is the question. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I laughed. and. You know, he chuckled and walked away, and I was like, and like this guy had like a V back, and you know, he was all upper body, zero legs. I mean, guy that big, he just did not do legs, or he just wasn't his programming was shit. So, but I mean, yes, we have all the drugs. Guys mess around with some crazy shit here, but like you said, you can't take anything away from them if they are going to the gym. They're they're hitting their stories about Kai where he would go in the morning, go home, take a nap go back to oxygen, do his nighttime session, go go back and go to sleep. Or sorry, it was morning cardio, go home, eat, take a nap, whatever, then go do his lifting session, then go back later on. He was going to the gym three times a day. You know, and if you're getting the right the right rest, if you're sleeping enough and your food is on point because you know he's eating from the best like, you know, restaurants here in Kuwait, like the the dietary, you know, diet plan or diet care whatever we have here. So the guy's nutrition is taken care of. He's probably being sponsored while he's here. He's not paying a dime. His living's for free because he's advertising Oxygen Gym. Mm -hmm. So all he has to do is train. 
all, all these guys are doing. Ahmed Eshkenani is another one. I mean, Ahmed Eshkenani, the amount of work and dedication this guy puts in, I've never seen in Kuwait. Kuwaitis typically don't put that level of dedication that you see, but very few guys here actually do. And Ahmed Eshkenani is one of them. And his workout regimen is insane. Plus, he just does everything right. His food is on point. His supplementation is on point. And he's very dedicated to it. And that's why the guy, I think he ranked fifth in the world this year or last year because he does all of that. And he lives in Kuwait. You're not going to party. You're not boozing it up once, once a month. Like, believe it or not, boozing it up once a month does affect your body. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm sure you know that. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hold you back. It's just like if you're going to have those two cheeseburgers and you're trying to weigh in at 2% body fat, it's going to hold you back. You know, it's going to take you a week to burn off at least, you know? Mm-hmm. So these guys have it set and made in the shade. Um, but I'm not going to lie to you. Steroids is an epidemic here. And, you know, you have guys that you have young guys that are thinking it's the only way they can lift and the only thing they can do. And right now it's bleeding into the CrossFit scene. Um, I personally, the, my first encounter with steroids in Kuwait, I was 23 years old. It was a trainer at the gym, and this is how easy it is. He said, hey, I see you're taking animal cuts. You're taking creatine. You're taking all this stuff. How about I hook you up with something that's really going to, you know, blow you up? And I was like, shit, all right, dude. What, what is it? He goes, here you go. This is, it's called Stanazol. All right? And he was like, just make sure you drink pr- plenty of water. Take four pills a day. Each pill is, I think, 50 milligrams. I don't even know, dude. Like, I was 23 years old, and all I know is I took this shit, and three weeks later, my bench went from 120 kg to 140 kg in three weeks. I went from deadlifting 160, a 160 max kg to a 210 max. I went to a 320 kilo shrug for three, and at one point, I think it was two months down the road, I, I looked at myself, and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? not a pro baseball player. I'm not a pro bodybuilder. I'll never be one. Why am I doing this? And, you know, this was after I'd read that it affects your kidneys. It affects your liver. I had already had the acne. Um, the hair loss looked like it was already happening. Um, the balls didn't shrink, luckily enough. Um, that's a true story for anyone that wants to know. If you take certain steroids, your balls will shrink to the size of M&Ms. I've seen some of my buddies and it was, you know, they thought it was cool because they're like, oh, yeah, my nuts shrunk because, you know, the juice I'm taking. I'm like, dude, that's not cool, man. Like, that's messed up. Like, something's wrong with your body. You know what I mean? So luckily, I was smart enough to get out of it when I did. But I think the biggest side effect was the mental side effect for me. And that was because, you know, I was, I was still coaching baseball at the time. This is when I first started coaching. So, you know, obviously I used to hit balls and I was just hitting bombs. Like when people say it doesn't affect you in, you know, sport, dude, that's bullshit. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's the biggest crock of shit. Like you take any steroid. Once you go onto the playing field, you're a different person. hundred percent. Absolutely. So, no, it's, it's, that, uh, it's, it, it's night and day. Um, you know, they, people talk about Mark McGuire and, and um, Barry Bonds and all those guys. And yeah, they could hit home runs before that. But on that, that's that, that you just said it's night and day. And if you if you really want to dig deep into the steroid part, and I love the steroid era of baseball, it's one of the most fascinating things I think in all of sports because 
hitting a baseball, hitting a round object with a round object is the toughest thing to do in sports. I don't care who you are or what you want to say. Maybe hockey, because just like skating and hitting a hockey puck is pretty damn hard. But <laughs> hitting a baseball is hard. And the confidence you get from doing steroids is beyond anything else. And when you get that confidence with the extra body strength, the recovery from it, I mean, it's going to make you a different ball player. And Mark McGuire, if you look at his stats, he went from being a 30 home run guy to 50 to a 60, 70 home run dude. That doesn't happen. Like that, that just, it hasn't happened in what, 20 years since then? When was Mm -hmm. the last time we saw someone approach 60 home runs? It's been a while. Yeah, you haven't. It's not going to happen again. Uh, I I guarantee you. It it won't happen again because they're not doing the steroids like they used to now. I mean, Astros are cheating. That's That's a different conversation. But juice gives you an advantage. And to think if you're in a competitive sport, and I still think the late baseball players are juicing, but yep. not like before, uh, not so obvious as they were. Um, I think every professional athlete is either juicing or teeting on that really close edge of doing what's legal and not legal, including Tom Brady. All right. The guy's 42 or 43 years old. You got to be shitting me when you think he's not taking anything and he's still playing like a 23 year old quarterback. That's just, I'm sorry. It's not the Tom Brady diet. It, it doesn't work like that. Life does not work like that, no matter how genetically gifted you are. Yep. And it, like, I, this is not a commercial for, for using steroids because there's, there's a whole other side to, to all that, too. You had mentioned it. There's, um, you know, you take anything you, you take uh, might have all these benefits, but there's also on the other side of that fence, there's, there's you know, high blood pressure and um, you just testicular um, shrinkage and, um, you can go all up and down the list. So it's, oh, you know, it's it risk first reward. I mean, if you're, if you're a professional athlete getting paid for it, that's one thing. If you want to really get into it, like, let's go with high blood pressure. You take that, your blood pressure is going through the roof. No matter who you are, what you're doing, your blood pressure is going to skyrocket. Your kidneys are going to get shot if you don't drink enough water. And you may, you may get jaundice. Plus, you're going to get the uh, steroid flu the first two weeks. So, and this didn't happen to me, but... You know, over the years, I've just, it's accumulated knowledge. On top of that, you're going to generate bitch tits. Like, that's something that will happen based on your genetics. Look, there are responders to steroids where nothing happens. They have zero side effects. And then there are hyper responders where they get everything under the moon. And including you smell like shit. If you want to know if a guy's taking steroids, walk next to him mid-workout. And if he smells like absolute crap, then he's definitely juicing. And you know, I've, I've seen it. And besides that, like the, the male infertility is a big one. Um, you see a lot of these guys, they, they, they can't have boys. Um, you know, it's, it's, they, they, majority of the time they have, you know, females or daughters because, you know, boys from what I understand is, and I'm not like a doctor or anything. So I want to just say that, but from what I understand, like the, uh, the boy sperms are a lot tougher to swim up the canal versus the girl sperms don't ask me how i know that (laughs) but but i do and i think it was someone that was on our show talking about steroids before um so a lot of these you know juicers have girls or they can't have children at all um and that's after a while plus once you stop doing uh, steroids your testosterone doesn't normalize 
you have to really kind of be smart about it and taper off and hope and pray to God your body renormalizes based on the amount of time you did the steroids for. And whatever gains you had from roids, you're going to lose. And that was my biggest thing, the, the mind screw, is when I got back under the bench, dude, I was not lifting the same weight. In fact, mm-hmm. my weights went down because I was so mentally screwed up that, oh, shit, I can't do, I don't have my juice. I stepped away from bodybuilding in its, in its entirety uh, when I was like 25, 26, because for two years I struggled back and forth with that mental part. I mean, I went back to animal cuts. I tried all the over-the-counter shit you could think of. Uh, I took Monster. I took whatever it was to try and get that similar effect. But, dude, there was nothing like it. Nothing compared to it. Any over-the-counter testosterone booster was just, they're selling you bullshit. You know, like, you could get the best in the market. It might have a little bit of an effect. But you're not going to get the same effect as really, you know, taking stand as all or D-ball or DECA or any of these things. Those things are just like, boom, you're going to see the effects right away. But it's a slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope because there are guys that have been doing it since they were 20. And they're my age. You know, they're 36 years old. They're, mm-hmm. gonna de- they're, they're definitely going to develop some type of cancer at some point. That's going to happen. Heart disease is going to set in because your heart is continuously under fatigue so that's we had a heart surgeon on the show and he he said oh shoot after the show i was like what's wrong he goes i totally forgot to talk about steroids he was like it's one of the biggest problems in kuwait and i completely you know went over the surface and i was like it's all right man we'll bring you back onto the show he's like yeah he's like but you know it's really but he was a heart surgeon He was like it's really bad for your heart and that's when I was like, all right, let me go get an EKG to see what damage I caused in my 20s. Luckily, I didn't do it long enough where it had a, a significant effect on me. Um, I think I was smart and realized that I didn't need it. And then, yeah, I mean, dude, it's, it's for anyone out there thinking of doing steroids, if you're not a pro in your income, if your income does not solely depend on you working out or doing the sport that you are doing, and I say this to my Kuwaiti friends too, because a lot of them do it, it's not worth doing. It's not worth the side effects. You'll get the same results. Over time, you'll get the same results. It's just not that quick fix. And Mm -hmm. those results that you're going to get, when you get to 7%, 6% body fat, you're going to feel a lot better than doing it on juice. Because once you're off, that's it. You know, like it's, It's gone. Your gains are gone, and your health has gone to shit. So what, what do you, what do you guys say to the kids there who see these guys? Well, luckily I've been, I was a baseball coach and I still coach from time to time, but with the podcast and, you know, the gym and me trying to do CrossFit and everything full and full-time, a full-time job, I don't coach anymore. Like as much, I just do PTs on the side for selected athletes that I work with. And when I had my older kids a couple of years ago, uh, one of them came up to me, saw them, comes up to me, goes, coach, uh, I'm getting into bodybuilding. What, what should I take? It's like, what, what, you know, what protein should I take or what, what should I, what supplements should I take? I looked at him. I said, Solomon, you're 17 years old. You go into the gym and lifting weights at your age right now, you're going to, you're going to build so much muscle just because your testosterone is at its peak. 
and you're at like the you know the the performance age right now. So you're going to build muscle tissue that will last for the rest of your life. You don't need any of this stuff. I said if you get your sleep is in check, your food is on point from you know from mm-hmm. macros that you're getting, you know you're getting adequate protein. And I always stress this with kids is protein protein and they're like why? It's like because most people underconsume protein anyways. I mean to consume the right amount of protein, you need what, like six chicken breasts a day? You know, and that's, well, over here, because our chicken breasts are like tiny, dude. They're like six inches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we, we don't get the steroid chickens like you guys get. So, <laughs> so you know, you, you got to eat all this chicken. You know, it's, it's really difficult. But if I told them, if you get the adequate amount of protein, you're eating right, you're doing all this, you don't need any supplements. You don't need nothing. And I was like, make sure you just eat red meat. That way you can definitely get your creatine in because creatine's from beef. You know, it's found in beef. And granted, even with creatine to get five, five, five grams of it, I think you need to eat about eight pounds. But, you know, like it's, it's splitting hairs because you don't know how much, how much your body's taking in anyways. So with Sodom, I told him, do all this. And then when you're 21, 22, if you want to take something, go ahead. But because you're a kid, you don't need to. And he said, all right, coach, what about steroids? said, dude, you're too young for this shit. I was like, are you going to be a pro baseball player? No. Are you going to be a pro bodybuilder? No. Are you going to be any type of a pro athlete? And he was like, no, but I had a dream of going to the MLB. I said, Sodom, let's be realistic, dude. You play in Kuwait. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're not playing in Florida. Like, you're not going to make it to the MLB. I hate to break it to you, but I would go to a tryout, see where you stand. But other than that, dude... You're going to be lucky if you make a D1, D2, D2 school. And that's just the reality of it. And I told him, it's not like you're not a bad ball player, but to go to D1, you need to be scouted for a couple of years. You know, it's not, you, you don't go as a walk-on. I mean, I think a lot of athletes know that. So he's like, so I don't do any of this stuff? I was like, no, nah, dude, stay away from steroids. Stay, anyone who offers, offers you steroids, stay away from them. It's not worth it because that shit will kill you, especially at your age and the way you're developing I was like, look, you're growing into your body. You don't want to grow into your body with something synthetic in your body. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. What's your take on it um, over there in the States? It's changed. You know, um, the the laws have changed, obviously, too. So it used to be uh, kind of what you just said. It wasn't really legal, but people did it. Um, and then they switched it to now it's classified in the same classification as, um, co- uh, cocaine or oh, wow. like hard drugs. So if you're caught with steroids, they charge you per dose. So if you, you know, you buy a bottle of pills, which maybe you buy D ball, you have to take so much of this D ball cause they're lower milligrams. You might have a, I don't know, 500 pills in a bottle. They're charging you for each um, pill that's in that bottle, not not the, 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 the milligrams, uh, for one charge. So the, the, the risk now is, is serious. It's, I mean, it's like getting caught with hard drugs. So I think that changed a lot of people, uh, and their, their ideas of using them. Um, and still, you have bodybuilders, you're going to use them. You go to my gym now and you'll see who's using steroids. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but you mentioned before now, what you see is it's not just the big beefy, guys 
it's the it's the women who are, are cross fitting who are taking some you mentioned Stanazol, Winstrol, um, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. We can get into names to drugs, but they're they're doing those those diet drugs and clenbuterols and clenbuterol's uh, huge, man. It's huge in CrossFit. Clenbuterol so, is. I'll insane. tell you a funny story. Um, I you know I was a bodybuilder, so I dabbled in a lot of the stuff, and um, I was dating a girl who was just on me all the time. You can't do that. It's no good. It's no good for you. No good for you. And I went to her house one day, and I went into the cabinet to get um, a cup, and in her cabinet. Or it was just an assortment of clenbuterol. So <laughs> I said, um, you've been preaching to me now for, you know, months and months and months. I said, do you know what you're taking? And she said, yeah, it's just a diet pill. I said, no, it's not a diet pill. It's, you know, bodybuilders are taking the same thing. It's, it's the same thing. So, you know, uh, it's not just guys looking to get bigger. It's, it's women to, to, to get leaner. Uh, to look good they might not even be in a sport they just want to look good so it's a lot of mental you know you want to look good you want to feel good um it gives you a confidence you just said that you can take on the world um i'm sure that's why you know even though mark mcguire's hitting six you know yeah. 500 foot home runs all the time he probably went up to that plate and knew that he could take on the world and any pitcher that was out there and that, it gives you a confidence so um it's not as open and widespread here. I mean, you have to go to the gym um, and then you, maybe you have, you know, 10% of the people in there are, are doing it. You're kind of mixed in with a bunch of just regular people. Um, not as widespread as it used to be. Yeah, but well, that, I mean, that's good for you guys. Like, clenbuterol, I know it's pretty big in the CrossFit scene because I'm, I'm pretty sure it's clenbuterol where it increases your aerobic capacity. Um, and... I know Stanazol has been big in the CrossFit scene also because, you know, you're getting the strength gains without the mass and, you know, you're, you're, you're losing all that water weight. So it makes you a lot lighter on your feet. Um, and for anyone to think if they look at a professional CrossFitter and think they are absolutely clean, I would say maybe some but it is extremely difficult, and for anyone to think they, they are doing some of these things. I mean, when you look at CrossFit in 2008, 2009, 2010, and 11, the, the, the extent of it was like doing kipping pull-ups. You know what I mean? And like deadlifts were at about 450, 500 pounds, or a back squat. Right now, I, I don't chalk it up to steroids. I chalk it up to people are getting smarter with their training also. Mm-hmm. But to get into that one percent, you got to be doing something. You can't tell me it's all natural. You can't tell me Matt Frazier is a hundred percent natural. You can't say that he is not taking something to make him the fittest man on earth. Either he is incredibly fucking genetically blessed and he's just an alien, or there's something behind the scenes. And like we've seen with a lot of sports. You get the Ricky Garrards who are the lambs for the slaughter and, you know, the people who even in bodybuilding, you get a lot of the politics in bodybuilding. And I've heard a lot of complaints about there's politics in bodybuilding now, especially with the amount of followers you have on Instagram and how Insta famous you are. That's, you know, that that will increase your likelihood of actually winning a competition. And it's the same thing with every sport. You know, I mean, you got to look at it for what it is.
People want to see these guys lift crazy numbers. No one wants to hear about Matthew Frazier doing drugs or getting caught for steroids. Mm -hmm. And let's be realistic in CrossFit, everybody. You can cycle off before the, the piss test. We saw it with the MLB. You know, before 2008, they're like, oh, we drug test. Yeah, but they were getting a phone call an hour beforehand, you know, or they knew it was coming versus later. They didn't know when it was happening. You know, they signed their contracts and that's how you saw the absolute best in the game getting busted for roids. Um, what's his name with Seattle? Um, Robinson Cano. Was it Cano? Yes. Yep. He's with the Cano Mets now. Was, yep. Yeah. Cano was busted for roids, right? It was Cano. He was busted 52 game suspension. Yep. The best player in major leagues was caught. So I think MLB has set the framework that other sports are not following right now to rid steroids. When you see players cheating with electronical devices to steal pitches, that means they're not they're not juicing like they used to. <laughs> you know what I like they're just definitely not. And you know, when you hear with the stories about their juice in the baseballs now, and I don't know if you've you've picked up a baseball recently, like a a, a major league baseball. Mm-hmm. I caught a foul ball a year ago and the next day, I looked at one of my buddies. I go, dude, they're so juicing this bit. Look at how bouncy this thing is. And he's like, oh, my God, you're, you know, you're right. So I, I, I think MLB saw a dip in home runs. And they're like, oh, shit, we need to figure something out. Well, I say all the time. I watch those home run derbies at the All-Star break. And do you know how hard it is to just hit home run after home run after home run and keep swinging that bat? I mean, just taking batting practice and swinging that bat – you know, 30, 40 swings, that, that's hard. Yeah, um, and they're, hit, they're hitting 500-foot home runs back after. Uh, so that I always thought that maybe they do something to that baseball at the All-Star game, definitely, because it's oh, the 100%. show. 100%. Um, but on another topic, you brought them up, the Astros. So what, what is your take? What is your take? I just talked to uh, Ed Hearn from the 1986 Mets uh, over the last week. Um, he, he had a funny comment that the Astros have been cheating since 1986, when they played them in the league championship series <laughs> and they were stuffing the baseballs. What do you think? Um, and honest, in all honesty, there's a gray area in all sports. I think if you, if you're not cheating, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Um, I think Ty Cobb baseball, Ty Cobb's t- style of baseball has died, but I think it's something the game needed and every sport needs. You need players like Ty Cobb that were ruthless um, would run into you, spike you, and everything. You needed to have someone on a team to set that fear. I mean, it's just like the NHL. You don't have as many fights as you used to back in the day. You know, you'd have brawls. Now it's like you're lucky if you see a fight. And with, with the Astros, I think they went a step too far. I think when you go to the point where you have people uh, in the stands. I'm assuming if you're going to do this right, you'd have someone that's in the stands with binoculars, stealing the signs, deciphering these signs, giving it to the hitters, and the electronical devices on the inside. Look, we all grew up stealing signs. I mean, it was the first thing I taught my kids. You get on second base, look at the catcher. If he's dumb enough to throw one sign down, you steal that sign and give it away to your teammates. And as a catcher, growing up as a catcher, I'm telling you as a catcher, whenever I suspected our signs were being stolen by the first base coach, the third base coach, the guy on second base, hell, it could have been the dude in the warm-up area. That's when I started throwing down 
multiple signs. And I always went with the most complicated shit of take the third sign is the, you know, the pitch you're going to throw, whether it's a fastball, curveball, or slider. And then you take the second sign for location, one being inside, two being outside, three being down the middle, because I'll never go there anyways, and four up high and five down low. I used to complicate the shit out of it. Pitchers kind of hated me at some points, but there, there was a rhyme to the reason. As a catcher, your goal is to protect the signs you're throwing down. So to the Astros, you guys went a little, they went a little too far. But to the teams that were, were cheated on, you guys are idiots. You know, like if you're going in to big games and you got people, you have suspicions that they're stealing signs and you're not doing anything about it, you can't cry now. You should have cried before. That was your time. That was you. you know, that was the time to do it. And I was watching um, Harold Reynolds talk about Altuve's home run off of um, uh, what Chapman. Yeah. Now Altuve's home run off of Chapman. Harold Reynolds. He, he was right about this. Chapman had nothing that day. Chapman didn't have shit. He walked the guy before him. Everything was all over the place. And then Altuve comes up. He throws him like two balls. Everything's outside, all over the place. All he can do is throw him. Uh, you know, an 89 mile an hour changeup. That's all he has left in his arsenal. And he threw it to him, and Altuve sat on it. Like, if you look at it, he sat on that pitch and he hit the shit out of it. You can't take anything away from that. I don't care who you are. If you're stealing signs and you know what pitch is coming, if you're, if someone's throwing a 100 mile an hour fastball, all right, <laughs> look, you're going to follow it off. You're not going to hit it for a home run. But if they throw you, if they throw you an 89 mile an hour changeup right down the pipe, and you don't hit it out, and you're a professional major, you're a major league baseball player, then you suck. All right, because, dude, I was, I still play in men's in a men's league, right? And three weeks ago, we had a runner on first, runner on second. Pitcher goes, uh, first ball is a strike, then it's ball one, ball two, ball three, and then it's a three one count. I look at the umpire, and I, he's my buddy. I'm like, all right, here comes the fastball. I just, you know, stroke my bat out a little bit. I'm like, fastball is coming right down the pipe. Throws me a fastball, and I hit it probably 350 feet. Like, I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. It just baseball sense tells you what's going to happen. And I think El Tuve knew Chapman had nothing. His fastball was all over the place. He was going to come at him with a changeup, and he hit it for a home run. Whether he knew or he didn't know, there's still a level of 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 like there's still a level where you need to be able to hit that for a home run there's still technique to it there's still you know there's still professionalism in that but i mean did they steal world series maybe i mean it's tough to say because at the end of the day if you look at the 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 los angeles dodgers I mean, they simply weren't hitting for shit either. Mm-hmm. So you got to look at that. You know, they weren't hitting that well. People forget about that. And it's easy to say, oh, they were cheating. But, dude, even if they were cheating, they beat you with their pitching. You know, if you didn't beat them with your pitching, and, like, come on. I mean, right now, scouting reports are so detailed on pitchers and hitters that it's the, – the, the technology is insane. I had Paul Reddick on uh, our podcast – and I love him. He's amazing. He's a, he's yep. amazing. And I have he his book ta- here somewhere. He he was talking about how uh, crazy it's gotten with technology, even at the younger levels. And I believe him. And I, I think we're gonna like he said we're gonna go overboard. 
and then we're going to reel it back in. And I agree. It's, it's like with Sabre metrics. We went crazy in the early 2000s. We were reeled back in because of team chemistry, so to speak, which you can't put a value on. You know, chemistry can't be valued. And when a, a hot streak can't be valued. So I think it's the same thing. And, you know, the Astros probably did cheat. Hell, I think every Major League Baseball player has cheated by trying to steal a sign or two. And I think in any sport, you're trying to gain a competitive advantage. And you're an idiot if you can't gain the competitive advantage that your opponent that beat you, that, that beat you with, is gaining that advantage. He's just smarter. He's just better. You know, I had the number one CrossFitter in Kuwait. Uh, he's going to the CrossFit Games this year. He was on the show, and he told me, you know, he told me this when I went to one of his classes because, you know, I, I go to classes, you know, I try check these guys out before they come on the show. And I was in his class. He was like, you know what I do sometimes? I break the chalk up and I put it in my pocket because when someone else is grabbing chalk from, you know, the bucket, they're taking 20 seconds. I'm sticking my hand in my pocket and that takes me one second. So that's a competitive advantage. Is that mm-hmm. cheating? What would you classify that as? That's just him being smart. And I think that applies to other sports, too. You know, it's yeah. when you grow up in baseball, a good coach teaches you, look at the pitcher, try and steal some signs, try and figure out where he's putting his glove, which way does his hand rotate if he's throwing you a curveball. I knew a guy, every time he was throwing a curveball, his left elbow would go up. I'd see his left elbow go up, and I'd be like, all right, it's a field day. And I'd tell everybody on the bench, I was awesome at stealing signs. I was awesome at picking shit up from pitchers because I grew up around the Red Sox and the Red Sox did the little shit like that. When um, I forget who it was in the nineties, he used to tip his pitches. Um, oh shit. I can't remember his name, but he used to tip his pitches. And I remember watching that on the news. So that that's how I learned to pick up tips for pitches. So is that cheating? I don't know. Was were the Red Sox your favorite team? Are they your favorite team? Oh, hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Yeah. It, if they cheated to win the 2018 World Series, I still stick by it. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But there is that gray area, and there is that, that fine line between competitive advantage and flat-out cheating to win. Like pine tar on a baseball, I can't say I haven't done it. <laughs> you know, like I was guilty of a little pine tar under my baseball hat. That's just because my hands used to sweat. And then you had um, uh, sunscreen, the frog sunscreen that the Red Sox pitchers used to use. Now, it's sunscreen. Is that cheating or is that finding a competitive advantage that suits your needs as a player? It's, it's a gray area, to be honest with you. Black Sox, that's a different ball game. These guys were cheating because they were betting on their own team to lose. And when you bet on your own team to lose and you're throwing games, that's not cheating. That's just disgusting. You know, Pete Rose, people say Pete Rose should be led into the Hall of Fame. He only bet on his team. I still say, look, you know what, Pete Rose? I think you were, he was a, an amazing ball player. But what he did is not acceptable in any sport. And I don't care who you are. If you bet on your team to win or lose – Dude, that's just going beyond. You know, you're you're you're, t- you're letting your teammates down at that point. You know what I mean? And that's that to me. Like, it's sad not to see Pete Rose get in. I think eventually he will get in when he dies. I think mm-hmm. that's going to happen. But you know, 
should he be allowed in? I mean, to, he, he was betting on his own team. You just don't do that. You know, you, you don't, you don't do it. So, but I'm a Red Sox fan, so that's why I can get away with saying that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm a Mets fan, so. Um, hey, man. Well, you guys had the cocaine era. <laughs> we had a couple things going on. <laughs> yeah, I don't... 86, 86 Mets, man. What was it? Yeah. LSD and crack and. <laughs> Well, that was coming from Pittsburgh at the time when Keith Hernandez was involved with that with uh, um, the Pittsburgh Pirates and uh, a bunch of other guys in that. Um, what, what would you say? What's the difference between baseball here and baseball there? Um, I'd say baseball there. Like one thing that I believe in is you're only as good as the time that you put into a sport or anything that you do in life. And if you're not practicing or you're not seeing you're not getting contact time. Our contact time for the kids here in Kuwait is about four hours, maybe all week. They have one practice uh, and one game during the weekend. Sometimes two games, they'll have a double header. I mean, that's four hours of contact during the week. That's four hours of practice. And literally uh, we get, you know, you'll have some really good coaches that come in here that understand the fundamentals and understand how to build ball players over a season that was my style. I would start from the bare basics. It would start with literally you're on your knees, you know, um, glove in hand, and you're just, you know, tossing, getting that wrist to work, hitting the guy in his chest. Once you learn how to do that, you can stand up. Once you learn how to do that, you back up 5, 10 feet. Once you learn how to do that, you back up 20 feet. And it was just very slow progressions. And a lot of kids didn't understand it. Neither did parents at the time. But midway through the season, they'd be like, shit, coach, that was that's the best thing you could have done. And it's because we had such a mix of guys, that, kids that have played ball growing up here. And then we'd have new kids that have never played before. So when you're trying to coach 12 kids, five of them have played their whole life. Three of them have played for four years. And then you have like four that have never played before. You need to be able to get everybody to teach everybody and adapt at the same level if you want to win. And luckily as a coach, and I'm not tooting my own horn here, I always pick teams based on character rather than based on uh, physical attributes because I knew when it came to baseball in Kuwait, if you taught your right fielder how to catch a fly ball, that's a game changer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in Kuwait, if your right fielder can catch a fly ball, you got the best damn right fielder in the league, let alone the goddamn country. And if he can catch a fly ball, and come up with a hit every two games, you got, you got, like, you did something right. And that was kind of like my philosophy. And, you know, in the States, you got kids playing baseball every day. Yeah. Um, all my friends grew up, and even when I was in college, I think I had like three or four games a week. We'd have practice every day. And, you know, you, you pick it up from Little League onwards. You weren't starting basics at a teenage level and, you know, trying to adapt. No, you would pick up the basics in, you know, at, at an early age, and then you, ha you would skip those drills the further you went in life. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you, get to, you get to practice eventually, and it would turn into ground balls, fly balls, um, you know, some throwing drills, and then it would turn into BP or, you know, you know like um, hitting for spots, like hit to right field, hit to left field. You'd still have some drills mixed in, some technical things, but it, it, it's not what you have to do here. Here... Like I've got, I come in as a coach and these kids, you know, their, their parents are like, yeah, they've played their whole life. They know baseball really well. 
and they don't understand anything. They don't even know how to read the game. They don't know how to read the field. They don't know on a ground ball hit to the left side, where are they going to go with it? If you know, a ball's hit to the outfield and there's a runner on first base, where are they throwing it? You know what I mean? There are those little things in baseball that you get from the United States from watching it every day and playing it every day that the kids here that they just don't get. They, they don't get ESPN. They don't get um, the highlights on MLB. You know, MLB tonight or growing up, it was the ESPN highlights. That taught me more than any other coaches taught me. You know what I mean? Like watching the game has taught me the most versus actually playing it because that's where. So they don't have that available there. I mean, now MLB, you know, MLB Network's available all over the world. You just download okay. the app. It's, cool. it's not just the availability. It's, it's them thinking it, like, I used to do it as a passion, love, and fun. Like, I would watch a game because I love the game. These kids, when I'm like, dude, go home, watch a game, enjoy it, tell me what you understand from it. I'd get one out of every 12 kids that would actually do that. And Solomon being one kid who's a Mets fan, uh, funny enough. Um, he was, he was, you know, he was a great kid. I love yeah. Sodom to death. One of the best ball players I ever coached. The kid reminded me of me every time I saw him on the ball field. He was all heart, um, broke his hand one season. He was swinging a bat with one arm because we didn't have enough players. So he was like, he was a, he was a ball player in my book. And, you know, he used to watch games. He would come to me with questions and I loved it. And like me, he wasn't the most athletically gifted, most genetically gifted, but because of everything else he did, he was able to be one of the better players on the field. And he was a scrapper. He, he was definitely a scrapper by all means, but he was a damn good scrapper. And we now in Kuwait, I don't see it. And with the government involvement in baseball in Kuwait now, it's, I mean, it's, it's turned into an absolute shit show over here. Um, you think sometimes the government will fix things. Um, here, they've just made a situation go from worse to, you know, unbelievably worse. <laughs> so um, it's pretty sad because baseball, at the height of it, when I was coaching in the mid, in about 2007 to 2012, we, the league would average around 550, 600 kids. Now the league average is around 200 to 250, and the numbers are still dwindling down. Um, you had you have a solid four teams in the seniors division, and now it's turned into two, if that, three. And you know, at one point they had a juniors and a seniors division, and now it's just everyone's mixed in with again. It was kind of like we re, we built it in the 90s when I first started playing. We had two teams. You know, we were lucky we had enough kids. And you had no internet. It was all word of mouth. We built the league up when I was playing ball to five teams at one point, which I think was the, the, the height of Kuwait Little League. Then they switched it over to Kuwait, uh, Kuwait Baseball Club. And <clears throat> you get, uh, they're shooting for budgets and shit. So you're getting politics mixed in, mixed in with it. Um, you know, once money gets involved in any sport, it just goes to crap. And it's it's sad because it's not about the kids anymore and it's turned into trying to make money. So I think baseball in Kuwait is slowly dying, which is really sad. Um, my next goal next year, um, hopefully, is to revive the Little League here because Kuwait Little League was um, basically killed a couple of years ago. 
to create the baseball club. So I'm hoping to start Kuwait Little League again. Create a chapter here in Kuwait. Develop kids from a young age. Uh, because my son's five, he'll be six next year. So what, what better time to do it than to develop with my kid and have his generation of ball players set the foundation to build something, something that's well-structured. Because I've always said the foundation of a baseball league and the foundation of baseball players isn't T-ball. It's not at 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. That's it. They've hit that peak. If, you don't, if they don't learn some of these skills at a young age from 6 to 10, I'm sorry, you missed the boat. And in Kuwait, I mean, they continuously miss the boat and continuously, you know, not understand. They paid thousands of dollars for these ex-MLBers to come in and give a course for three days. Say all the shit that I've, I was screaming for 12 years. Literally, I kept telling them the same thing. Me and my buddy Tad for years, every year, how do we get better? Well, you got to start at this age. We need to do the foundation. Maybe we need to split the league up and have, you know, the new players have a three-month period so we can integrate them in later on. We had all these really good plans. And they brought MLB, XMLB years in, which was great. It was amazing. They said the same thing we were saying. And these sons of bitches still didn't listen to the pros who were teaching at a professional level. They just... They're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. And you saw a couple coaches doing it for two weeks. Sure enough, three weeks later, you go to a practice and all you see is the kids doing batting practice for two hours and them thinking that their players are going to get better. Sorry. You don't just throw kids out there to do batting practice. They're not going to learn shit. And I don't blame the coaches because when you have such a bad mix of players that have never played a sport, I mean, it's like football or any sport. If you get players that have never played Mix them in with players that have played. Who do you give your attention to? If you're not a really good, well-rounded coach and have a lot of tricks up your sleeve, then you can't coach that team. And it's sad because I thought Kuwait had a shot at, um, you know, we, a couple of years ago, they uh, came to us. They were like, we want to have an Olympic baseball team. I was the captain slash coach. I got all the old school ball players in Kuwait that I grew up with from 1997 and digging some of these guys out of the woodwork. It was, it was tough. I got them all out on the baseball field. And then again, we were, you know, we were tossed out of the Olympics. I'm not sure if you know about that. We were banned in the Olympics uh, for, I think five years. Mm -hmm. And now I know why, because there's so much corruption, so much deep seated corruption in sports here in Kuwait that even with baseball, it, it leaked to baseball, and it's sad because now we can't have an Olympic team because the guys who were trying to start it were too corrupt looking for the money, and there was no money in the Olympic team, so they moved it to a club hoping they're going to get funding, and they're probably going to get like 4 or $5 million in funding. And they've already taken – I mean, they took kids to a, the Dominican Republic this year. Okay, great, but you're taking foreigners, Kuwaitis, to the Dominican Republic, where they probably don't know English, and you're not taking them to the number one spot in the world, the United States, or Japan, or China, or, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it, was, it was clear that there was, there was someone benefiting from this Dominican trip. 
and it was sad. It broke my heart when I when I saw some of the kids not going, and it was because they picked they pick one brother and they said to the other brother he couldn't go. As a dad, what are you gonna do? You know, and, and the dad was like, "Should I take you know? Should I take both of them? What should I do?" He was looking at me. And I said, "Honestly, they're not. It's is it? Do you have that disposable income? Do you think your kids are gonna play D one baseball?" I said, "Kuwait." The Kuwait baseball club is handling it wrong by going to the Dominican Republic in the first place, in my opinion. I don't think they need to go that far. There are camps that are set up in the Netherlands, Italy. Um, you can bring coaches into Kuwait, which would probably be a hell of a lot cheaper and get more bang for your buck. Or send the kids to Japan because our body types are that of the Japanese ballplayers. We're not big people. You know, Kuwaitis... The average Kuwaiti height is probably like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, <laughs> you know what I mean? We're small. So, like, you're going to – you're not going to train with guys that are six feet tall. It just doesn't work like that. You, you, your, your, your level of you – know, your baseball game is going to be completely different, just like in any sport. Your strategy changes based on the body type unless you're playing darts, you know, and it, it, physicality doesn't matter. But that's the biggest difference. It's just content. I mean, the biggest difference is just contact hours – and people that actually give a shit about the sport and understanding it. Mm -hmm. The board members, the board members here, not one of them has picked up a baseball in their life. I mean, I went to the tryouts for their tournament teams, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And in their tournament team tryouts, they had two guys on the table evaluating baseball players. And they have never thrown a ball in their life or swung a bat. How can they evaluate players with not knowing the game? How can they evaluate someone like they don't know? Is he hitting the corner of the bag when he's running from home to second? Is he, you know, is he just botching the throws? Does he have a strong arm? Can we teach him how to control his arm? They don't know this. They have no idea. So it's, it's, that's what's happened in Kuwait. Baseball, in my opinion, has gone to shit. <laughs> so sorry, man. That was a no, little rant okay. and I apologize for that, but. Like, well, it's just, no, it's I think tough. I think a lot of people are going to have, uh, you know, they have questions about where, where you live and what, what life's like and what the sport's like and what the baseball's like. So that, that's awesome. Um, so we're running out of time, but we have so much to talk about. We should do this. All right, man. But, dude, uh, Kuwait, Kuwait's one of the most corrupt countries you'll ever see, though. On yeah. If you look at some of the most corrupt countries in the world, Kuwait's right at the top of that list. They're probably in the top 20. Mm. What um, last two questions for you? So Yeah, sorry, um, dude. Sorry, no, sorry. Okay. I, I took up a lot with those questions. My bad, that's man. That's fine. That's all right. It's good. Um, if I if I spoke to your family, I just went and talked to them and I asked them about you. What would what would they tell me? It depends who you ask in my family. They probably <laughs> say, <laughs> they, they, I, "I honestly, I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't talk about myself. I've never really boasted about myself before." Um, I try not to. I try to be as humble as possible. Like even when people say he's a good CrossFitter, I always play it down and say, oh, I'm an old man. You know, I was just lucky or whatever. You know, I've always played the underdog story. But um, I think my cousin, uh, Hella, would probably sum this up the best. She's been like a little sister to me my whole life. And I would say she'd probably say he's one of the most resilient people that I know. And he's probably one of the nicest guys. And he would you know, give the shirt off his back to anyone that needed it. 
I think that's what she, I would hope that's what she'd say about me. And then she would follow it up by saying he's the most annoying person in my life. (laughs) (laughs) But Mehdi always has good intentions. And, you know, I've always tried, I, I try to do the right thing as much as possible. And I think one skill that I've gained in life and one thing that saved my life growing up was, you know, my brother passing away at such a young age. Um, it got me to wake up and smell the coffee. Like I was a troubled teenager. I got into a shit ton of trouble, but I cleaned my act up, you know, and that was, you know, through learning. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's basically it, really. Um, but I think, I think that she'd have some good things to say about me. <laughs> and oh, she'd, awesome. say I'm, she'd definitely say I'm a great dad. Um, that's one thing I do pride myself with. As hard as my day is, um, I try to be the best goddamn father that I can possibly be. Give my son all the attention that he needs, even if it is for an hour. When I find myself tapering away and I'm on my phone too much around him, I shut my phone off. I take, you know, I, I do what I need to do. Like I try to realize it and tackle that problem. Because being a good dad to me is really important. Uh, my dad was never around, so I try to, you know, I'm trying to make up for that and build a really good relationship with my son. Cool. Um, where can where can we find you? Where can everybody find you? Uh, Instagram. Uh, it's M A H D I A L O W N. That's it. That's my name, Mehdi Al Oon, on Instagram. Um, I just started posting some arabic too <laughs> so um you can find me on on instagram that's that's where i'm most active um and you know the project kuwait pretty active there uh you can definitely listen to any of our podcasts we have two shows we got psyched with dr d that's on tuesdays it's psychology based because psychology is a taboo subject mm-hmm. you'd love to have uh you should have dr dinka on your show she would be a great interview because she uh, lived in the United States. She's Iraqi originally. She grew up in Chicago, got her PhD, and then she moved to Kuwait in 2007, and she's been here for 10 years. So oh, she awesome. would be, yeah, she'd be a great person to talk to. She's on our Tuesday show. Um, she's phenomenal, by the way. Great I'd, character. Yeah, I'd appreciate that introduction. That'd be great. Oh hell yeah, dude! I'll definitely, I'll, I'll definitely uh, shoot you uh, her contact details and put her in touch with you. Cool. Um, I'll do that right after, right after we wrap up, man. So, I'd like to yeah. talk to you again. I'd like to talk to you again sometime about um, fatherhood and, and really kind of dive into that area if you're open to it at some point. And we we kind of we spend a lot of time on baseball and, and uh, <laughs> uh, steroids that we love. But um, <laughs> sorry, man, I don't get to talk baseball a lot, dude. <laughs> no, neither do I. I. I got to talk to a bunch of baseball players, and they didn't want to talk about baseball. We had to talk about other stuff, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, there, everybody has so many good stories. It's hard to get everything in in about forty five minutes. It's impossible. But um, no, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. I, hopefully, we can talk again. I appreciate being on, dude, and definitely, man. And uh, we definitely got to have you on our show at some point. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, we're we're planning on launching the uh, Dad Project uh, podcast soon, so I'll definitely have you on that. We can shoot the breeze a little bit more, dude. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thanks. Dude. I appreciate it. Yep. Talk to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you're looking for social media content for your contracting business, painting contractors, carpenters, electricians, any type of contractor, please check us out on Instagram at Amato Media or check us out on LinkedIn. We can definitely help you all out. So have a great day.